Hi, y'all. This is Kristen Chenoweth. Hi, I'm Gloria Stefan. This is Sarah Bareilles. Hi, I'm Patty Lapone. This is Lynn Manuel Miranda. You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, all of you guys out there in the universe. Welcome back to Broadway Breakdown. Today is not an obsession. Oh, I'm Matt Koblick, by the way, in case you were wondering. Um, <clears throat> in case you're like, oh, is Patty Lapone taking over? That's next week. Uh, this week is not an obsession. This, well, it is and it isn't. It's not officially an obsession, but it's an obsession episode. Uh, we are going to be discussing a musical that's been around for almost 30 years that has resurfaced uh, to me via YouTube in 2020 and with me to discuss said crazy campy tastic obsession is Mr. Morgan Reynolds friend of the pod alum of the pod oh I'm so you know crazy campy obsession like that right there market <laughs> brand it put a B on it that's it I am here for it did I say the name of the show no. Well, they're going to know from the title of the episode, but um, we're talking about Ruthless today, y'all. Ruthless the musical. Uh, and we'll get into why and how in just a minute. But first, let's like, let's ease in. Let's like start with a pinky, then two fingers. <laughs> uh, <laughs> it's been a while, but sure, let's go. Oh, no, Morgan, let's be real. For you, it's like you start with the fist, then you go to the arm. Uh, the, truly, I, I couldn't have said it better myself. Where am I catching you right now? <laughs> Where am I? I'm actually in California. Uh-huh. Um, I just got back from Hong Kong two days ago. So mm-hmm. like catching me awake right now is uh, something um, of a miracle. Uh, and um, so I'm in California for who knows when. Are you with family in California? I'm with family. I'm from California originally. So, okay. you that know, back at the parents' house. Girl, that's what I'm at. Uh that would explain the massive headphones and why you weren't super like nervous when I mentioned fisting so loudly in your parents' home. Listen, they have seen it all. I can walk through the kitchen in a gown and they're like, okay, do you want uh, chicken for dinner? Exactly. Um, I, this is, it sounds like you have the same relationship with your parents as I do with mine. My mom and I have, you know, been watching various TV shows and, the past year since I moved. Oh, I've been following your Instagram stories. Oh, well, thank you. I feel so famous. (laughs) But we did Bridgerton recently. uh, And I know you know, because you follow me, but for anyone who doesn't follow me on Instagram, if you don't watch Bridgerton, it's essentially Gossip Girl meets Jane Austen. Uh, 
and like treat it at that kind of like soapy pulpy level because uh, that's all it really wants but fair yeah there's a sex scene that happens where it's like the woman's first time and it's and they're like about to do the penetration and my mom goes you could use some lube first and i turn on and go it's 1810 what's lube and she goes i don't know pig's fat or something honestly fair fair (laughs) like it was a one two three i was like this is why this is why you're my mother wow i mean i do i have to watch that show now Oh yeah, it's good. It's like I watched the preview on Netflix. Is mm. it Netflix? Or mm-hmm. Yeah, I watched the preview the other day and it kind of caught me off guard because I love a period piece, but then with the modern language and like slang, mm-hmm. it I, I just wasn't sure yet. The slang is not that modern. They they what they try to do is do like what modern people think that style of English is in like a in that kind of way it's like heightened but it's also very uh easy to follow it's not shakespeare in any way okay great i'm in speaking of like period pieces with modern slang did you watch the great what's oh no that's uh l fanning right yes l fanning and and that hot guy yes um used to date jennifer lawrence was in uh skins and about a boy what's his name about a boy that's right um Yeah. yeah he it was actually so good I, I, I watched it in like two, maybe a day. <laughs> um, it was fabulous. I also watched Dairy Girls in a day. And speaking of Bridgerton, yes! because um, one of the stars. Dairy Girls. It, I, the smartest writing, the actress, it, like it, it blew my mind. Mm-hmm. It was amazing. Dairy Girls is such a weird show because like the casting is so weird because all of the actors are very clearly not teenagers and that's sort of the point, but yes. then they will have like day players that are teenagers and it's a little pen 15 ish in that way. But like, yeah, I don't know. Like eventually you just forget that they're like 25 playing 16. I, and I, I know those girls. I know like they are so right on and honest. Like mm-hmm. I know every single one of those girls, like, also, I love the accent, so like, let's turn it around. But um, that show is so smart and so mm-hmm. current. I, I watched that one really fast as well. Which one of the girls is on Bridgerton, right? I was about to say Claire is on Bridgerton, yeah. yeah. I mean, she's essentially playing a less coked out Claire on Bridgerton. Okay. Uh, they, give her, they give her some more shades towards the end of the season. I won't spoil anything. Uh, but yeah, no, she is on Bridgerton. She basically plays a less coked out Claire. But Dairy Girls, I highly recommend as well. It is so smart, so funny. My only thing is uh, make sure you watch it with subtitles. Yes. If Until you-, you get used to the accent a little bit. You kind of have to get yeah, used to it. I, w- I mean, I watched it first without subtitles. And I was like, oh, this is so funny. I get it. And then I watched it with subtitles. I'm like, oh, there's like 40% of dialogue I completely missed. And smart dialogue too. Very good dialogue. Yeah. Uh, one of my favorite running jokes on the show is when they're trying to like name actors. I think it's um, Michelle's like always trying to name an actor and she can never name the actor. So she's always giving off like offhand uh, accounts of who the person is. So the very first episode is her quoting, I think it's Pulp Fiction. She's quoting, I think either John Travolta or Bruce Willis. And she can't, actually remember the name so she's like what's up motherfuckers and then she's like it's your it's your guy the guy who does this and this and they're like what because <laughs> yes. she doesn't actually, she doesn't know their name and she doesn't even remember their resume she just remembers like what the movies they were in were about so she's like it's the dude you have who's always dancing and they're like what 
I mean, but like at that age, we never, we don't know the pop culture, like the ins and outs of like what we talk about, what we're, what you talk about and what we're going to talk about on this podcast. Mm-hmm. But like, you know what I mean? We would just like kind of barely remember enough to like get by with our friends. Oh yeah. Uh, you know, and yeah, no, that, that Well, shows- that's why like back in the, back in the olden days, uh, that's why some movies became such pop culture phenomenons. Cause like you didn't have Netflix, you didn't have YouTube, like best case scenario, you can maybe rent it on VHS later, but like you went to go see it in the movie theater as many times as possible if you loved yes. it. Cause like it got to the point where like you wanted to memorize it. Like that's what made Back to the Future such a hit and Star Wars, like those nerds were like, I need to memorize every detail of this movie. So I'm going to see it 50 times. Yeah. I, and, and I mean, that comes to like those cult classics, which I ruthless not to like segue, but like is the exact antithesis of like a cult classic kind of like era almost. It's, mm. it has like when I was kind of, you know, rewatching and then seeing like what I missed or like things that I'm associating with other, you know, black and white movies that I like try and force my boyfriend to watch, you know. Uh, so, but I, it's written in that like Charles Bush-esque nod to these cult classics that like only really like gay men like sat for a while back in the day and like would take those nuances from these like leading ladies you know yeah no ruthless is definitely a musical that was written for the gay community uh and and you know our allies because it is just so niche it's funny and on its own already but like if you get the references it um and there are some references that like i don't totally get but i would say i probably get like 85 percent of them uh it, it's just yeah it's just so inside baseball but there's something really lovely about that knowing that like it was made with such care for our kind of like geekdom yeah i mean like just you know i saw right before covid hit i went and saw um confessions of lily dare the charles bush um play and Same. that was also had so many just niche like it felt like home a bit because mm. I could understand the references. They were done so well. Mm. And it just felt like this like big, like wrapping your arms around you and kind of just like, I, I don't know how to explain it, but that's kind of what Ruthless, yeah, like does that familiarity in this niche market, like joke. Yeah. So let's get into it then. That Since we're already on the subject, Ruthless the musical is what we're talking about today. Um, I'll go into uh, the basic history first and the credits, and then I'll ask you, Mr. Morgan, to uh, give us a, a plot breakdown, if you will. Um, and right. I'll, yeah, if, if, you, if you think you're up for it. I mean, you're going to have to help me, but I, I can, okay. you know. Okay, I'll help you. Uh, <laughs> Ruthless was written by uh, Mr. Joel Paley. He did the books and lyrics, and the music is by Marvin Laird. Uh, Laird, fun fact, was, actually still is, Bernadette Peters' personal music director uh, since her teenage years. Interesting. Because I, I, I saw a YouTube video of, mm-hmm. I, I guess it was it an encores where Bernadette Peter played Judy? It's or not it, an encores. So I'll, we'll get into that in a quick second. Okay, okay. With the history. Uh, basically, so yes, he was her music director for like the majority of her life and career. Uh, and he... MD'd also Gypsy when she did it on Broadway and Annie Get Your Gun. And uh, he was the associate conductor for Follies. And when she replaced in Dolly, he came in to be the associate conductor for that as well. Um, wow. Just because like they have worked together forever. He's also worked with Cher on a bunch of her stuff and Liza on a bunch of her stuff. 
Uh, he did like, I think music arrangements for the Hello Dolly movie, which say what you will about he- the Hello Dolly movie, those arrangements slap. Oh, honey, you know that Barbara original opening, if you want your sister courted, brother wet or cheese imported, just leave, you know it, it's fucking iconic. Uh, of course, and like, if you want to get me ready for sex, just play the last 20 seconds of uh, before the parade passes by. Oh, I, uh, I all, uh, that move, I mean, that could, that's a whole other conversation on itself, but the grandeur and weight of that movie, the visuals and the orchestrations, like everything about it was, is just so grand. Yeah. I mean, you can argue whether you thought it worked or not, but you can't deny the impact of the enormity of it. Like just seeing that like crane shot of them zooming out of the parade as Barbara's holding a D for almost 20 seconds. Whether you think it's in the spirit of the show or not, it's iconic in its own and, right. Oh God. And listen, I, I want to fight somebody who doesn't think it, it's in the spirit of the show because let me tell you, yes, I know she was too young to play Dolly, but I think that her essence is there. Yeah. And I, I just there's just so much grandeur and Americana in, in how that picture was filmed and the mm-hmm. costuming and, you know, Tommy Toon's like looming over the entire ensemble. You know, there it's just... It's a visual, you yeah, know, treat. There's, there's, there's stuff to it. You know, there are movies that are considered phenomenal and I'm, I can say like, oh yes, it's well-made, but I don't desire to watch it a second time. I could, there are parts of Hello, Dolly that I have no problem watching or listening to. Uh, so say what you will. And Lord knows I'm a judgmental bitch, but <laughs> I, th- those, that's where I'm at. Anyway, so that's Marvin Laird for you. Uh, wow. Ruthless opened in 1992 at the Players Theater off-Broadway and ran for almost a year. The original New York production uh, is best remembered for being Laura Bell Bundy's uh, start in New York City. That's right. Yes, she was the lead or second lead, I guess you could say. And her understudy when the show opened was a young Britney Spears. And then Britney left. And who replaced Britney as the understudy? None other than Natalie Portman. I am still got and gooped by that because also as I as I was like re-listening and watching Ruthless, like I don't ever I can't imagine Britney having that range. So, well, so I did I did a little bit of research and uh, like trolled the message boards to like see who talked about it, who saw it back in the '90s and whatnot, and. The thing that actually surprised me was Natalie, because like Natalie has never been like a singer singer. Sure. Uh, and when you're a kid, you can get away with it, I guess, if you're loud enough and have like strength behind your voice. Like if you're not the best singer, you can just sort of, you know, fake yeah. it. Yeah. 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 And so what Laura Bell Bundy said about Natalie was that because Natalie was only the understudy for the last like two months of the run or something and mm-hmm. never went on. And Britney Spears almost also rarely went on. She went on for like two weeks when Laura Bell Bundy went on vacation. But she said Natalie wasn't the best singer of the girls who auditioned, but she was the most real or like the least precocious acting. And we'll get into why that's important in a second when we talk about the bootleg we're going to discuss. But that was sort of what got Natalie Portman. The role was that like she could understand what made the show funny, whereas all the other girls didn't. Yes, that and that right there, because it's it's the comedy of a 42-year-old gay man Absolutely. and the comedy beats. And a, for a kid to understand just like the nuances in that writing is so difficult. Oh, absolutely. Laura Labundi has said like, she's convinced the reason she got the role is because she basically 
was a pageant girl who was trained by her mom and gay men. So she like knew the culture already. So she mm. came to New York ready for this role, not even knowing about it because that was already seeped in her. She said like, well, I was a 40 year old gay man in a 12 year old's body. Yes. And, and it's, it can work both ways. You get, you either have to be that side of the coin mm -hmm. or you have to be so naive and oblivious to the jokes that it works because you don't actually know that you're making the joke work. Exactly. Um, she, and what I found about Britney Spears from people who'd seen it off Broadway, apparently before Britney went into the pop world, she actually was a pretty good singer and you can, and there's evidence to that. You can see videos of her at like 12 or 13 at, you know, rodeos or, I don't want to say the Mickey Mouse Club because they didn't really show that off very well, but you get the sense that she had a better voice when she was younger and then the way she had to sing for her teenage years in pop kind of ruined it. I mean, let's take a look at all of them. I mean, even Jessica Simpson, you've seen that bootleg of her doing music in the mirror with that mm -hmm. option up. Hello. Mm -hmm. And it's like the talent was there and then the pop world kind of ruined it. Uh, and it's not even just the pop world. It's like if you don't hold on to that instrument and keep training it in the way that you've been using it, you'll lose it. Like Sarah, you look at videos of Sarah Ramirez now and you can't imagine she sang that way she used to sing in spam a lot. I know I, it's true. It's I'm terrified for growing older, but you know, it, it is an instrument. Yeah. Well, you just keep on top of it, bitch. That's all you got to do. Listen, Let's Patty look at Calloway. Be something. She still sounds amazing. So like, it's possible. You just got to keep fair. on top of it. Yeah, um, fair. Yeah, so the show ran for a year in New York. Uh, got pretty good reviews. It won the Outer Critics Circle for Off-Broadway Musical. They won the Drama Desk for Lyrics, which was like crazy. Because uh, I think That's they were- really against, interesting. I think they were up against Spider-Woman. I don't think they won any other Drama Desk awards because Laura Bell Bundy and the original other lead, Linda English, were up against Cheetah. And like, you're not beating Cheetah. No, especially not in Spider-Woman. Exactly. But they did win Lyrics and that's amazing. Then they did an production in Los Angeles and that's the production we're going to be talking about and it's the same basic creative team uh mostly a new cast and uh we'll go through the cast list in a second the one thing I do want to say about this bootleg we're about to discuss because this bootleg surfaced online around April and I discovered it in like November uh and it's posted by the original lead of the show so i feel okay talking about it yeah i mean it's her official youtube which i was like ballsy move because they didn't even cut the intermission out it, mm. it just rolls for 15 minutes absolutely and on top of that i'm almost i'm also convinced that it's that bootleg is filmed by someone in the production because they capture all the right things i was just gonna say and listen la theater because i was in the i did the original production of life could be a dream the boy mm -hmm. version of wonderettes in la and i have all i've all tons of footage from just our swing sitting in the audience because it's LA. You're mm -hmm. not, listen, you can kind of do whatever you want under the radar. Yeah. Um, so like good for whoever her, you know, whoever study was. Yeah. It could have been an understudy. It could have been even like the director himself. The thing that I found out about the LA production that it was actually kind of more successful than the New York production. I don't know how long it ran exactly, but um, they like, it was a big hit there. And they talked, I was reading an article where they were like, cause it was, they've was, they performed it in Beverly Hills and LA is already kind of infamous for having no theater scene. So oh, it's like, yeah. so like if a show does well there, it's like, first of all, it's an anomaly, but also it is sort of this, sort of this cultural thing in the city. Cause everyone's like, we have something, we have a, we have a theater, we have a theater thing right now. Let's, let's go see it. If it's, if, if people in LA are seeing it, clearly it's good. Um, and from the bootleg, it looks like 
a pretty, I mean, like at least a 200 seat, if not more house. Yeah. It's definitely, I think um, it's three to 400. It's not, it's not the Pantages, but it's like, it's not a 99. Oh, it basically is LA theater. So, you know, anything to pack more than 99 a, a night is unheard of. Yeah. Uh, the other fun fact about this production is that Bob Mackie did the costumes. I was wonder. I literally thought I was like, these fucking costumes. Oh my gag me with the damn spoon. They're fabulous. And of course he did. Yeah. It, How did they wrangle that? Well, that's sort of the thing is like, so Bernadette Peters was a producer on the original New York production. I don't know if she produced the LA one as well, but she did do the New York one and that helped get it some like publicity and get, you know, some famous people to come see it. And then I guess because like Marvin Laird just had all the connections uh, and you know, worked with Cher and Liza Minnelli. So probably got Mackie to do the costumes for it uh, oh, at wow. a probably low cost. And the costumes are great. I mean, even the set, I was really impressed with. I was like, this is like an L.A production like and it is supposed to be on that campy you know beach babylon type of like vibe with the mm -hmm. set but it's so well done oh yeah it's i mean it's no cats but it's like it is very well executed it's the, it's i i point to this video of ruthless as like the perfect example of if you're gonna do stupid do stupid as well as you can Oh yeah, shine it and then put a fucking rhinestone on it because exactly. it's it's executed. Uh, dare I say perfectly? Like it is. Yeah. So I know how you came upon this video because I wrangled you into doing this episode. Yes. <laughs> um, but I've discovered the video. I want to say like November or December. And when I tell you that I fell hard, I mean like I fell hard i just watched it all the way through i've watched clips of it over and over again it, i say this it took me a minute to like decide if i wanted to say it out loud and i finally have said it out loud enough times it's one of the best examples of tight comedic timing i've ever seen like in a stage production anyway no you're a hundred percent correct like i every beat is not thrown away it is choreographed and nuanced it, mm -hmm. and for something that is a camp joke it is it, i couldn't take my eyes off of it and i found myself like laughing out loud multiple times which i do not do at theater i mean let let alone a bootleg of a stage show like that is the that is the power of how good this video is um and this production i should say um so this this video that we're discussing, it's the LA production. Bob Mackie did the costumes. The cast is Joan Ryan as Judy Denmark. Catherine Zaremba, who's not the original Tina. She's a replacement Tina Denmark. Um, the original oh. Tina Denmark is Lindsay Ridgeway, who left to, to do, I believe, Boy Meets World. Uh, oh, my. Oh, yeah. okay. Oh, like half this cast got like TV deals from this production, whether it was like on sitcoms or voiceover work. It's... Because they in the article I was reading, they were like, first of all, all the Hollywood producers are here. And on top of that, you have like Beverly Hills moms with their 12-year-old daughters sitting next to leather daddies. Like that is our audience. Yes. Oh, and I, I, God, what I wouldn't give to be in that audience, you know? Right. Like that, and that is also like a, a perfect example of what Off-Broadway sort of used to be. That kind yeah. of mix and mingle. And it isn't that anymore. But also Ruthless is a kind of Off-Broadway musical that hasn't 
continued. And in fact, they brought it back, cut it down to 90 minutes for no intermission. And it still like only kind of lasted less than a year. Well, you, and it's hard because you have to know the references and you have to know, like, you, you, you have to be a fan of the bad seed and all of these things that they're referencing or else it's not going to be funny. The camp joke on top of that dime is not going to work. And so when you have like a, like I take, I reference Charles Bush, you know, again, because that is this, in the same vein. Mm-hmm. And when I went to see his show at theater for a new city, um, which is off, 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 off the Broadway. Mm-hmm. Um, it was literally me and like a bunch of 65 year old gay man and, uh, John Cameron Mitchell was sitting behind me by the by. Um, did you immediately jump into his lap? Because I would have. I was like really, I was like shaking the whole time. And I kind of like was whispering to my boyfriend. I was like, oh my God, John Cameron Mitchell. That's He's sitting behind me, directly behind me, mind you. And my boyfriend is not one to be coy. And he's like, what? And I was like, okay, queen, you better calm down. Um, and I told myself, I was like, okay, if he's there at the end of the show, I have to say, I have to thank him for like what his work has molded me, helped mold me and shape me into today. And I did. <laughs> we're standing up, we're waiting. And I was like, okay, okay. And I was like, hey, um, John. And he was like, uh, yeah, yeah. And I was like, hey, I just have to, I, I definitely wasn't as eloquent as I am right now. I was probably shaking. We never are back. when these moments we, happen. No, 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 no. It was, it was very, I was wearing a very cute, like suede fringe jacket as well, but, and mm. a hat. So I was like on my game with fashion. So he's like, Oh, who's this cute little boy? Um, I say little, but like, let's be honest, I turned 34 this year. Um, <laughs> and um, he, and I was like, I just have to thank you for like your gifts to like this, you know, 12 year old gay man, like who listened and had your bootleg. And like, I, you know, I said a bunch of things and I stumbled and he was like, yeah, thank you. Like, thank you. You know, blah, blah, blah. And then it was kind of awkward and he walked off, but I got to say thank you. So I was like, you know what? A win. Thanks for Charles Bush. But back to Charles Bush, uh, it, it was like a niche market audience. And when he's referencing Haley Mills, like Haley Mills and Pollyanna, that's a very small audience that's going to get those jokes. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's kind of what Ruthless is. I feel like it's, it would be hard for an audience or the Hell's Kitchen gaze today mm-hmm. to like get the, even the Ethel Merman jokes and like, you know what I mean? Like it's a tough sell. It's, it is a tough sell. It's one of those shows where if you do it well enough, if you cast it well enough, if you direct it tight enough and design it like loud enough, you can get away with audiences that maybe don't get the references, but you have to kind of keep them holding on for like 10 minutes because eventually they'll just get invested in the ridiculousness of the plot and that'll be fun to them. And that's sort of the problem that a lot of productions do with comedy is they like decide to take their time. And I'm like, no, you need it airtight, airtight, keep it going, keep it going. Um, So Morgan, let's discuss what Ruthless is about for the brand new girls at home who don't necessarily know. Also, for any of you counting at home, Morgan has said the words "my boyfriend" three times. Let's see. If he, <laughs> let's see if he can get. Let's see if he can get to ten. Oh, uh, listen, I'm trying. Just trying to get that ring. It's been six years. It's about time. About um, damn time. No, I, as a as a very bitter old single gal, and most have been for most of my life. I love calling out my gay guests when they have boyfriends, because. 
it's not even that you guys do it in any way that's like malicious or like over the top. It's just, I always count it in my head. And then if I get to more than two times, I'm like, yeah, I'm going to say something. Thank you for keeping me humble. No, it's just like, I don't know. It's like, it's like tripping Taylor Louderman on the street. Did it really make me feel better? No, but sometimes you got to knock a bitch down. You know. This, the girl in the bootleg um, that, that played Tina, at that age, I don't even know what age she was in Ruthless. I think 10. Okay. Whoa, Jesus. Yeah. Um, her comedy beats are out of this fucking world. Absolutely. I've, I, again, I'm going to be a little over the top when I say this. I think I am going to be bold and say I think that Tina Denmark in Ruthless is probably the hardest Perf- uh, role for a child actor out there over Billy Elliot, over Matilda, over Annie. The, I mean, and the hardest role, not just for a child actor, because of course me watching it was like, ooh, I want to play Tina Denmark. You know what I mean? Like in that cute <laughs> be, Shirley We Temple would be dress. good. We would be good. I, I can't imagine a child having to carry that role with that range and that comedy beats. And that's why I was so kind of like hesitant on being like, oh my God, Britney played that role because mm-hmm. I have no idea how she did, would have done that. I, I have no clue either myself. Um, so, let's, okay, so let's get into the plot of Ruthless for anyone who doesn't know, all the brand new babies out there, and then we'll, we'll dissect. Um, sure. Morgan, take us away. So it's basically um, amalgamation of the bad seed, also, which is how it got the name Ruthless. Uh, because in the bad seat, I just rewatched it recently and they are talking, I don't, you know, I don't want to spoil it, but it's about a kid who like murders and is a sociopath. I see the 60 years old spoil away, but yes, bad seed is about a woman who finds out her daughter, her like perfect little daughter with braids and like a baby June dress is killing people. Two people. She kills, two, uh, no, three, she kills three people. She kills three people. Well, yes, she, one in the past, one in the before time. Yes. And cause she is basically like, they're talking about, I guess it be sociopathic tendencies, yeah, like right? If it's, if it's passed down and you, and the mother finds out that her birth, that she was adopted and her birth mother was a very famous serial killer. So like she's passed the, the idea of the bad seed is the bad seed is a genetic thing that she's passed down to her daughter like oh my daughter is born evil because i passed it on to her yeah it's a i mean it's so i mean the plot line you know i recent i remember watching it growing up um because i remembered certain things about the tap shoes going in the incinerator and things but then when i re-watched it um yesterday the ending shocked the fuck out of me i audibly gasped because Mm. i forgot how how it ended but um i was looking for like okay where does ruthless um, where does the word come from in this movie? Because it is follows that plot line the most, at yes. least in the first act. Yes. Ruthless takes um, the bad seed and instead of murder, which there is murder in Ruthless, but they take the idea of is uh, murder, are murderous tendencies passed down and is, is talent passed down? So then, because it also, you know, it goes the bad seed. It also kind of comes with a gypsy plot line mm-hmm. and also an all about Eve plot line, which is more in the second act than the first, the first is a yeah. lot of the bad seed and kind of gypsy. And then it adds all about Eve in the second act. Um, but I, when I was watching the bad seed, they're talking about 
the killer, the mother who like passes down the, the mm-hmm. bad seed to her daughter. And he's describing her and was like, her killings were ruthless. And then I was like, oh, that's where it came from. Absolutely. Um, and then they like go out of their way to justify the title in the, in the show. Like, which I you, love. Yeah. Like, you know that the title came first and then they figured it out. Okay. So basically bad seed are probably, I would say the main three characters are Judy Denmark and her daughter, Tina Denmark, which Denmark is also a play on that the mother and daughter in The Bad Seed, their last name is Penmark. Yes. Um, yes. And but and then the third one is Sylvia St. Croix, formerly Sylvia St. Sidney, need she say more, uh, <laughs> which is in the... So Judy Denmark is played by Joan Ryan, Tina Denmark, Catherine Saremba, and that is who Laurie Bell Bundy played in New York. Lauren Freeman, a man, plays Sylvia St. Croix. Uh, Judy is like perfect housewife and mother with this very, very talented, precocious daughter, Tina. And Sylvia St. Croix is essentially a former actress, now talent agent, who spots Tina performing and wants to represent her. And you find out that Tina is auditioning for the lead in the school musical, Pippi and Tahiti. And what happens next, Morgan? Well, and now you have to mention that Sylvia is a la Mama Rose. Like she has an yes. a la kind of like Mama Rose meets uk panto vibe it's very Rosalind russell mama rose uh slash mame because her yes, costumes exactly. are she's very Rosalind, she's Rosalind russell she is she's Rosalind. Rosalind russell which i am obsessed with Rosalind russell and recently oh, yeah. I, I watched and also i think actually i think Rosalind russell's character in the women is sylvia or maybe it's sylvie it is you know what i was just gonna say you're so right it's it's sylvia um, which makes sense because I recently just watched The Women, which I hold don't up, know I'm sorry, I, The Women holds the fuck up. It is so fucking good. And so good. the last line, I'm like, God, I want to be in a situation where I can quote that last line where she's like, don't you, you're, don't you have any pride? And she, she's like, a woman in love, uh, as a woman in love, pride is not something I can afford or something so fucking good. Mm-hmm. Anyway. Oh, Speaking my personal of, favorite is Joan Crawford's final line where she goes, you know, there's a word for you ladies, but it's not used in high society outside of a kennel. And then <laughs> it's, uh, I, that, that is, I mean, I couldn't believe that I hadn't watched, it took me that, I watched it recently, earlier this year. Um, oh, it's iconic. It's so good. And Rosalind Russell, at being a fan of like Mame and, you know, Gypsy and freaking, um, she was also in, trouble with angels i don't Mm -hmm. know if you've ever seen that um but she is so fabulous she's a phenomenal comedian his girl friday you know she's so good at yeah the banter and what makes her performance in gypsy kind of hysterical in like both a great and bad ways like gypsy is for the most part a drama it has its comedy like as the best dramas do but when it gets to the real serious stuff like she's a little out of her depth she can't really get to that angry place yeah, and it's something that a lot of drag queens and like gays in theater love to sort of mock or like mama, 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 and they make fun of it in Ruthless and the whole like, it's for me, it's for me. And that's what Sylvia St. Croix does all the time. Uh, yes. All of, and also, I, th- I feel like Rosalind Russell uh, almost coined the like, um, the gay like, aside one-liners in the deep voice because like mm-hmm. it's not like a one-liner like Mae West or or even um Carol Channing or anything it's like I don't know if you remember in Mame she's lighting the drinks the mm-hmm. flambe drinks at the dinner and she's like yeah now are we all lit and it's like this 
they do it a lot in Ruthless where it's like, it's almost written in mm. that tone of like, everything has a one, two, and the three is the throwaway one-liner in a deep voice. Yes. Um, back to Ruthless. So yes. Sylvia. <laughs> Sylvia is going to represent Tina. Tina's auditioning for Pippi and Tahiti, uh, which is Pippi, which is an original musical that her school's putting on about Pippi Longstocking, uh, done by Miss Thorne. Tina auditions in one of the best auditions ever, and I wanted we'll get to it. We will absolutely get to her audition. But does does Tina get the role of Pippi, Morgan? No, she does not. She gets the role of Pippi's dog. Puddles. 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 (laughs) And um and of course, naturally, like Tina's fabulous, beyond fabulous. And the girl who actually gets Pippi is awful. And Um, it's a great it's a great thing because it shows it's all about nepotism because when Tina auditions, she does everything she's supposed to do. And she has this whole inner monologue song about how she will do anything to play this part. And then right before they announce Pippi, who's playing Pippi, the teacher's like, we want to thank uh, so-and-so Lerman for uh, providing the sets from his lumber company and Betty Lerman for providing the funds for the costume and such and such Lerman for this. And so the role of Pippi will be played by Louise Lerman. Like they're the people who are funding the play, their daughter is playing Pippi. Which, and, and she also does a little um, advertisement. I don't know if you remember when she's like, yes, practicing. Yes, in the dress rehearsal. <laughs> yeah, in the dress rehearsal. She puts um, it in her, and you can tell her parents like force her to do an advertisement in the middle of the rehearsal. She, they like have a sign for the company on the back of her costume. Which that actress who is playing- Joanne Baum. Joanne Baum. She is like, one, incredibly genius, her range. Yes. Oh, ev- so every- everyone in this production is absolutely incredible. But yes, I wanted, I'm glad you said, you took this moment to point her out because Joanne Baum is absolutely genius because she's a grown woman playing an eight-year-old and you buy it so completely. She was doing, and, 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 especially as Louise, she was doing Miranda Sings before Miranda Sings. Yes. And she was doing Sherry O'Terry on SNL before Sherry O'Terry was doing it. Sherry O'Terry, like mm-hmm. it, it was almost like she was doing, you know, the best way to describe it. You remember like Amy Poehler's child character with the stepdad, Rick, She's like Rick, Rick, Rick. Oh, do I ever? Yes. She was doing that character on all the cough medicine in the world because <laughs> not only is she congested, but it's like, she's always kind of like a little slow on the uptake. She's, she's messing up all the time, but like also is such a kid and like believes in herself in this kind of way. That's like only a child could. Um, and pose like, and she, it kind of like that character, like she's posing all the time. Like it's yeah. just, she's doing it's, what she thinks is good acting. Like she's doing these poses as Pippi that are just like so staged and forced. It's like, classic bad child acting which and again with like camp theater like this is like we yes we all know how to, how it's going to look if we're playing a bad actor or playing these things but it is so honest and nuanced that like you can't help but laugh at the honesty that has almost like a, a lucille ball mm-hmm. gag where it's been rehearsed 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 until it looks like it was spontaneous um absolutely that's like the quality she has absolutely and she also does something i don't know if you caught it but i did and she doesn't do it on the cast recording because i was like was this something they added during the run because she did she's the only one in the la production who also did it in new york yes um and which it shows it, why well, she absolutely would- why it's like all these little things that she does that like and 
the audience is eating everything up, but there are some things that don't register just because it happens so quickly. So there's a line when they're rehearsing the Pippi song. Um, just, her line readings alone are amazing. She goes, she goes mangoes, uh, coconuts, grass huts, and look, the Pango Pango Hilton. This must be Tahiti. Like, it's just so good. But so when she's singing, um, she goes, uh, uh, um, I never been to school, not once. And the lyric is a fact I can't deny. And she pronounces it as a fact I can't deny. A fact I can't deny. And it's one of those things where like, if you, if you aren't paying very, very close attention, you absolutely miss it. And I always connected it to, I say always, like I've only been watching this video for two months now, but since I started watching it, I made the connection to that famous joke we like to do with Sound of Music. Oh, of course. You know, it was some gay in rehearsal and they're like joking about that. And then mm-hmm. she put it in. She absolutely put it in. Because for those of you who don't know, there's that scene in The Sound of Music where Julie Andrews is saying, I just, they're, they're all British. And she was like, I can't face it. And, the, and Mother Abbott says, what is, what is it, Maria, that you, uh, what is it, Maria, you can't face? Yeah. And it sounds like, sorry for being crude, cunt face. And Every musical theater Monday's bar in WeHo or Mickey's Mm -hmm. or all of them in Hell's Kitchen play that video where she keeps rewinding and it's like, what is it you cunt face, cunt face, cunt face. They they were quoted on Drag Race. If you ever go to a gay piano bar, Broadway piano bar, the two jokes you're always going to hear are shut up, Brigida, and Maria, you cunt face. Yeah. Oh, a hundred percent. I have to go back and watch that now because that's that's such a niche quick moment. Her, the entire, her entire performance in that rehearsal is a masterclass of comedic acting. And we'll get to what Catherine Zaremba does as well in a minute. Um, but so basically, Tina does not get cast as Pippi. Louise does. And Tina's really angry for a minute until she's offered the chance to be Louise's understudy. And basically what she is told is the understudy learns everything and you don't get to go on unless something should happen to Louise Lerman. And it should be emphasized this is a school production. This is a local third grade production. Two of, night only. Two night only of an original musical that their teacher wrote. And Tina is like, I'll do it. There's a great beat where the entire house starts to shake. And there's a picture, a portrait of her in the back that where the eyes light up demonically. It's I forgot about that. That's genius. That's how you know that someone in the production filmed it because they find exactly where the painting is because the, the lights all go dark except for the eyes. You're and right. Know exactly where to zoom into. And I'm like, oh, like that's the director or the assistant director. Yep, a hundred percent. Because even there's some scenes where there's so much going on, and they're going, they know who to go, who's entering next. You know, yes, they know exactly where to cut to. Um, so after the dress rehearsal, Tina decides that she wants, that she needs to play Pippi. Louise refuses. We cut to Tina's home, where you find out that Louise Lerman was uh, got into an accident where she ended up hanging herself from the catwalk of their school, which is one of my favorite jokes. So they find this out on the radio. Oh, I know exactly what you're going to say because I laughed out loud. Do you want to say it? No, go, go, go. So it's this big announcer man while like Tina's mom and Sylvia are waiting for her to come home from school before the performance. And he says, um, a child was uh, found like in an act uh, due to some prob- uh, accident hanging by a jump rope from the catwalk. Uh, officials are confused as to what the child was doing up there as it's none of the children are union. Which it is so gold. It's such a gold joke. And 
and then the cherry on top of all that is where he's like tune in uh like we will like uh tune in in five minutes for the weather such and such and the name of the dead girl and it's just so funny it's um which i also loved that whole bit when they're waiting you know by the radio mm-hmm. and all that because that's so that's such a prevalent scene in the bad seed mm-hmm. where they're like they one they hear it's like kind of off because you're like what they're hearing about this on the radio and she's like about to run out of the house to make sure that her daughter in the movie the bad seed the kid drowns at a school picnic mm-hmm. and she's running out of the house and then all of a sudden the radio turns back on and they're like justin we have the name of you know and so the timing of it all is a bit so i i love that they mock yeah. that all. I think in the bad seat, it's a, the ideas that like they're reporting on it from the sidelines, like waiting for the child to be identified. Um, but it's but it is like when you see it in the movie, it is so weird. You're like, why would they do it this way? Like it's just so crazy. Well, and the fact like in the when they show the school picnic, when they go to the picnic, and they you know they make a kind of a big deal about like, nobody go near the wharf, and it's just kind of like I'm like this is a, a typical yeah, park, yeah, which not even a wharf, it's a teeny little you know offset. Um, yeah. So it's just funny how they make such a big deal about this this wharf and they're going to drown off, off the pilings and all this. I'm like, this looks like the tamest lake I've ever seen. Um, so back to the ruthless though. So yeah. Back to ruthless. As, as we, the audience know, and it takes the characters all of three minutes to find out that Tina is the one that killed Louise Lerman uh, in one of my favorite. So there's a, there's, it's a, it's a one, two, punch of a joke where it's funny the first time. And it's even funnier the second where the teacher comes to the house to inform uh, Judy Denmark that Tina is going to be going on. And she's like, I'm this, this is going to happen. You got to deal with it. And she's like, I'm not going to, you know, say anything to the police. And Judy's like, what do you mean? And basically says, Oh, Louise's wig is missing. And there were eyewitnesses that Tina was terrorizing her. So I'm not going to say anything. And Judy goes, tell me you think that my child killed for a part in a play. And she goes, not just any part, Mrs. Denmark, the lead. It's funny. (laughs) Then in the following scene, when Judy discovers Louise's wig in Tina's school bag and basically catches Tina red-handed, she throws Tina on the couch and she goes, you killed Louise Lauren for a part in the play. And little Tina goes, not just any part, mother, the lead. And it is the funniest thing. Also, the way that, so she like tries to do the whole bad seed thing where she's like, I was frightened. I didn't know what to do. And she does this fake cry into her mother's arms. And Ju- and Judy goes, knock it off, Tina. You're not that good. And Tina goes, what do you mean, mother? Like that pisses it, her off more than anything. That whole, that whole scene where she like manhandles her and turns her around on the couch and that whole comedy is so well done and yeah. staged and rehearsed. It's genius. Well, it's, and it, what makes it so effective actually is that like, because Tina Olsen goes so demonic in all of it. And what it keeps her from being scary is the way that Judy actually pulls her off of her lap onto the couch so quickly. You are aware of how small and light this thing is, this little girl is. So it's funny to see this thing that you can throw around like a rag doll, just like scream in your face. It's so funny. And also I, who, uh, the girl playing Judy, um, uh, Joan, Joan Ryan, Joan Ryan, who a masterclass. A master class on her nuanced breathiness of this like typical Stepford housewife. 
and then we'll switch on a dime to be. And we'll get like, we'll get to the switch on a dime in a second. Yeah. But uh, does she not remind you of the whole time? I kept thinking, is the, who? What is this woman's name again? I had to look her up because she, I thought it was Susan Mosier. Do you know that YouTube video? That name sounds Susie? familiar. She does that today. I met the boy I'm going to marry in Suds. No. Oh my God. Send that my way. I'm going to. It is one of the most, they're very similar in the fact of these like characters that are almost like voiceover voices mm. with like nuanced comedy beats. It, she's, it's some clip from Suds that this girl yeah. Susan Mosher plays. I have to send it to you. They're very similar in that fact and they, they sound and look alike. But the girl, um, Joan, is amazing. Yes, and you're totally right. It is a very Stepford wife kind of attitude because it's very, she, like her first line, she has an opening song called Tina's Mother and it's, it's her answering the phone and people telling her on the phone how amazing Tina is. And she, every time the phone rings, she goes, Get it? And really for a while, like it's sort of the heart of the first act, even though like she is also kind of silly in her own right. Um, the way she, when someone says to her, you're a ve- very lucky girl, Judy Demark. And she goes, I know I'm a Libra. It's just so, <laughs> I'm obsessed with her breathiness. Mm-hmm. Like this Rachel York in Victor Victoria kind of like breathy. Rachel York, it's, if Rachel York were doing a, uh, a put in for Victor Victoria and was marking. That is what Joan Ryan is doing. That is what her voice. That, is. So right. That is so perfect. Um, yeah, she's incredible. Which thank thankful for her because she posted the bootleg. Yeah, thank God. Joan Ryan. You know, knock us up if you want. You, you have my permission. Um, so we we gotta keep going through this plot. Yeah. yeah, um, yeah. So like, well, luckily we are we are we are including so many of our. Uh, obsessions with this as we are recapping the plot so that's saving us some time but i want to make sure we get through it all uh so judy discovers that tina killed louise and on top of that judy's mother is coming to see the show and we find out that judy's mother is a very hated theater critic named lita encore played by rita mckenzie doing a big old ethel merman impression Oh, and she's a breath of fresh air when her character comes in. You kind of need that um, because there's so much plot heavy interconnecting plot lines and stories until that moment. And she comes in this gorgeous Bob Mackie with that headdress. It's a feather, yeah. Oh, it's just gorgeous. So she's a breath of fresh air. And the best Ethel Merman I've seen without being a caricature. Absolutely. And she sings a song called I Hate Musicals, which... When you think about the lyrics, because she's basically saying how like musicals suck, but then it goes into like how musicals aren't good as they used to be, uh, and like references sound and music and West Side Story being amazing, and then starts making jokes at the expense of Les Mis, Phantom, and Miss Saigon, and makes you go, When does this show take place? Because they're dressed like it's 1955, but they're making references to 1993. Hollywood star, an application. And well, 
Yeah, they make reference like saying something about like if I wanted a helicopter, I'll go to the airbase or something. And I'm airport, like, yeah, airport. And it's so, I which I've heard that song, the I hate musicals before. Mm-hmm. I think in like college, you know, give it yeah. to some. It's a fun um, song. It works out of context too. Totally, and I I. I kept thinking like, I, or I guess I've heard some, a lot of the songs in Ruthless I've heard until, you know, I finally watched it, but um, it, it's, she, it's so well done, her, yeah. her rendition of it. So we find out that there was, a, there was a stage actress from the old days named Ruth, DeMar- uh, Ruth DeMarco, Del Marco. Yes, Del, Del Marco. Marco which is how we come up with the name of the show Ruthless. Rita wrote a book about the life of Ruth Del Marco called Ruthless. And we end up finding out that Judy is not Lita's actual daughter. Judy is Ruth Del Marco's daughter. Her birth name is Ginger Del Marco. And Ruth supposedly killed herself after Lita gave her a really bad review that closed her show. And, but we don't know if Ruth actually died. She just went missing. And Lita took Judy in. And Judy... It's similar to the bad seed. She's like, it's in my blood. She's like, I am talented. I know I am. It's in my blood. This pathological need to be famous. God, I feel so cheap and dirty. I've watched, <laughs> bad this. I've watched this so many times. <laughs> and she's like her, scrubbing her legs while she's doing it. I feel her so legs. cheap and dirty. And that's this whole, the whole show relies on just like the union joke, like mm-hmm. almost pandering to the actors that just went to Pearl and Ripley and then got a $20 standing room ticket to come see a show at night because it's a lot of like insider showbiz jokes and yeah. jargon that that's where it really gets, starts to get heavy when we're talking like critics you, and stuff. You know what the style of the acting in this production reminds me, it makes me think of it's as if the cast of waiting for Guffman was doing Medea. Like, Yes. Ah, wow. Okay. Thank That's you. Because on. Because it's 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 farce, but you can't like completely mug it up, but you also can't play it completely serious. So it's more like you have to play someone who's ridiculous, ridiculous, is ridiculous and believe so firmly in what they're doing, but it's funny because they're so ridiculous. So like, that is why I say like, you have the cast of Waiting for Guffman, like Parker Posey, I hear the women in Paris wear the finest of clothes. Finest of clothes. And thinks that she is giving like, Cynthia Arrivo level of acting, of like nuance. It's just sometimes I feel like I don't really don't need I- you. Um, I'd still give. <laughs> um, you know, it, like Catherine O'Hara, I read an article and someone was like, how do you like do these characters? And she was like, when in doubt, just play insane. Yeah. And, and that's kind of what they're doing. It is like, you know, that basically, like you can tell that um, Moira Rose would have seen Ruthless in LA and been like, what's so funny. But Catherine <laughs> O'Hara would have done a great job. Um, and to like, not only play that, play these characters in these beats, but they are staged and the jokes are are literally staged in an inch of within an inch of their life oh yeah and it's the tightest of direction yeah tightest of direction so moving on through the plot just and so we can really just, yeah like, please, geek please, out, please so we can just geek out for the rest of it um judy finds out that she's uh ruth del marco's child Tina and like has basically a minor breakdown Tina is being coached by Sylvia on this big ballad for the Pippi musical the night before she was supposed to go on. And Judy, like, all of a sudden overcomes her in this big, 
Louise about to do the strip in gypsy kind of way, where like all of a sudden these natural instincts kick in and she was like, it's too big. You want them to come to you. And Tina's like, show me mama. And then she does it and she blossoms and she starts belting and it's just this big thing. And then you realize by the end of act one, that like a monster has been created in Judy. We flash forward to act two. Tina has been turned in by Judy to the authorities and she is sent to the Daisy Clover School for Psychopathic Ingenues, which is another inside baseball reference because Daisy Clover is a Natalie Wood movie about some tomboy who becomes a movie star. And it's like, no, Natalie Wood has like a bunch of movies we all remember. Daisy Clover is not one of them. No, but again, it's like just that gay man who like watched gypsy too many times the rosalind russell gypsy Mm -hmm. and like you know we i just i just bought a freaking mermaid blue royal blue gown because it looked like natalie wood's dress in that last scene in gypsy where she's like they're not they're laughing with me mother you Mm -hmm. know that's classic monologue so we flash forward in act two uh and judy changes her name back to ginger del marco she becomes a big star in new york city with this big penthouse apartment with a personal assistant named eve uh now this is where like second act it really kind of switches to all about eve plot line yes very much all about eve hints of gypsy but still mostly all about eve uh and some bad seed in there still and uh a whole bunch of stuff, minor stuff happens. The main crux is Tina comes back from Juvie. Sylvia wants to take her with her. Ginger's not so sure. Uh, you'd think for a second Tina's reformed because she shows up looking like one of the seven dwarves from Snow White, like this big top hat and stripes. And she's very subdued. And she's like, I just want my mother back. And you think for a second that Ginger's going to cave because like she's, you see her get so emotional. And then she touches tina's hat realizes it's stiff and there's something underneath there rips it off and to reveal that underneath her prison garb tina is dressed like a go-go dancer and like 1963 slash madonna in her like blonde ambition tour you know like very that very that and it's one of my favorite lines because it's so silly so at this point like judy is has done a total 180 like hair is quaffed with a big like uh, Cruella DeVille streak. Like, she is MAME. That is a MAME straight-up wig costume. Mm-hmm. It is a straight-up MAME outfit there. And she starts even talking differently. She's like, blah! And she's like, Tina, what are you really doing here? And Tina goes, what do you think I'm doing here? And Judy goes, how the hell should I know? I'm a Broadway star, not a Broadway mind reader. <laughs> it's, uh, it's so funny. I can't get enough of it. And if you notice, like, Tina's following her around the apartment as she's saying this and Judy's running away and she even does like a little like Jesus cross with her fingers to her like get away demon child like that kind of thing it's just these tiny oh, little God. details where like these these people worked on it like rehearsed this clearly for like two months and then like had the most fun doing it and found even more things to do with the audience it's so true like you can see that they're having a fucking good time mm-hmm. because like to do something that tight knit, that kind of comedy, you have to get along with your scene partner because mm-hmm. if not, you're, it's gonna 
the jokes won't be there. The earnest won't be there. And it's, and in order to keep it that tight, mm -hmm, you do have to drill it so hard mm -hmm, because that, it's, it's gotta be lived in. It's like, it's gotta, you have to know that kind of precision. And that's, and once that is drilled into you, that's where you can start having more fun and finding more things, which is how, you know, these people have been doing it for a while. Um, yes. Because it's just like, they, they just find everything. Uh, long story short, ha, too late clue. T uh, all is revealed. Sylvia is actually Ruth Del Marco, which is, you know, this is projected early, early on in the show. There's a moment when Judy says to her, Sylvia in the first act, she goes, do you have any children of your own? And Sylvia does like a double take and like the music gets all uh, noir -y. And she goes, I prefer not to discuss it. Uh, yeah. And you know, it's going to come back and it does. Sylvia is Ruth Del Marco and she came Oh, and that wig reveal, by oh, the way. Oh, the wig reveal is amazing. And has yeah. an, another great line where she, she was going to kill herself, but she was saved by a cruise ship. And oh, that oh my oh, God. Where she goes, yes. they, and I started performing on the cruise ship and they loved me. And Tina goes, they'll love anything on the cruise ship. It's so funny. <laughs> and then she says, I was offered a chance to star in the all white, uh, all white cast of the all black version of Hello, Dolly. <laughs> it's truly like the nichest of jokes the nichest and you know that if you and i were sitting in that audience we would have screamed oh i would have gagged like just the i laughed out loud on that cruise line joke because i was like oh my god like this sounds like i'm sitting at you know freaking brunch ninth avenue saloon after like seeing the matinee of come from away and having <laughs> a beer with a bunch of gays you know so that was clearly a real memory because that was too specific to just think of. <laughs> I had to remember what I was like. I, well, I know it was standing room. What was um, it? Um, and then uh, you find out that Eve is actually the mother of Louise Lerman and is there for revenge. And they even make a joke about it because it's been so long that they mentioned Louise. And she's like, it's Betty Lerman. And they go, who? She goes, I'm Louise's mother, act one. And it's so, it's like in this um, anything goes. 10 minute wrap up like mm -hmm. they fit every plot line and every joke in that they can yes now singing the title number of ruthless yes and then eventually eve gets shot then sylvia gets shot and then lita encore comes back in with another one of my favorite lines where she goes like sylvia's been shot she's like she's falling over getting blood on the couch and lita encore comes in she goes why ruth del marco you're not dead and she looks up and goes give me a minute encore <laughs> I forget. oh it's so good which and, when they all get shot in that like classic dick tracy like moment where they're wrestling mm -hmm. for the gun and then they do that like feeling mm -hmm. type to see like wait, was it me that was shot? Was it you? That bit that keeps going on, that like noise is off kind of bit is so genius. Absolutely. And then eventually Tina, so Sylvia then shoots Lita and then Tina shoots Judy saying, there's no money on Broadway, I'm getting a series. And then goes, sings the last bit of the, of the show. Fucking Catherine Zaremba does a head roll for her ponytail, looks over her shoulder, walks out. Remember, she's dressed like a Madonna go-go dancer. And as right, a 10-year-old. As a 10-year-old. And right when you think the show is over, who walks through the fucking door but Freddie, Frederick, Judy's husband, and he says, honey, I'm home, to a room full of dead bodies. And then the show is 
over. Lights out. Genius comedic timing for that last bit. I gagged. Ah, gagged. Um, So let's, let's, we've already been taking all this time to like obsess over, but let's obsess some more moments that really like you love about this show. I mean, I just, I, I can't, I kept like laughing because I was like, I can't tell if these women are like, we're coached to like, just play, like be drag queens because it almost as if they are drag queens playing these Rosalind Russell and slash other characters, like down to like the thick white under eye line that all of them are wearing, you know? Oh, absolutely. Um, I think, I do think that was part of it. I think it's the combination of the talent, like the talent and the, and the sensibilities have to be there, but they were also, you know, directed in the style. Like this is the style of the show. Yeah, because, like, I don't want to see a drag queen play these roles. I love the fact that there are these, like, freaking comedic gold actresses that can, that have the biggest fucking range, mm-hmm. vocal range. I have seen, you know, do not underestimate them as comedic actresses. Like, the vocal range that all of them had is insane. How they did that, how many nights a week, I have no idea between the many voices that they do. And from mixing to chest to like belt to head voice to- The way they even manipulate their speaking voices. Like it's- Yes. Yeah. Like Joanne Baum, how she goes from Louise Lerman into Eve in act two. Like the way she does Eve is insane. Um, there's there's another great joke. With, so the actress who plays the teacher, Miss Thorne in act one, plays a reporter, Emily Blunt- by the way. Oh, is that her name? Her name is Emily Blunt. And I was like, wow, prophetic. Um, and she's dressed all in yellow and she's from a magazine called Modern Thespian. And she hits on Eve in this really aggressive way. Like Eve goes, I'm an actress too. Want to take my picture? And she like throws her onto the door with this like Harvey Weinstein look. She goes, maybe later. Maybe and later. Eve just sinks. And then she goes, to, turns to Sylvia and she goes, Emily Blunt, modern thespian. And Sylvia goes, I'll bet you are. That, I was going to say that that line killed me. That was, that is a Rosalind Russell line in the women. And Absolutely. That is full on Rosalind Russell. I'll, I also know, love when she answers the phone and she goes, yellow. And then looks down at her costume because she's all in yellow. And she even she even says at one point, "I am as the good Lord made me." And Sylvia goes, "A taxi," because she looks like a taxi. <laughs> it's the the amount of jokes. How they who the guy the, and he directed Joel it too. Joel yeah, Paley, right? Yeah, he wrote the book lyrics and he directed it. It. Uh, I am so gagged and impressed, and would love to sit down with him at one point in life. Absolutely, because it is just gag worthy the amount of laughs and there it, it's almost so many jokes and so fast that you don't catch them all yeah oh you absolutely don't catch all of them because there are times you're just like coming up for air from the last one three jokes have already happened and it almost doesn't even matter because so many of the jokes aren't even necessarily aren't aren't necessary to the plot they're just wonderful jokes a hundred percent vaudevillian gags yeah. throughout and then you but then on top of it like Though, because the 10-year-old is, you know... The main antagonist, yeah. And playing these jokes, it's like even more of a joke and more of a laugh line because a 10-year-old is saying it. Like, it's written so well. So I want to get into a second. The two, so two moments in Act 2 that I do want to get into, and they're both Catherine Zaremba as Tina Denmark-focused. One is her entrance, and the other is the dress rehearsal. So... 
Tina's entrance, we've already been introduced to Judy with her big song. Yes, this is Tina's mother. Um, and Which is catchy as fuck. And I'm so obsessed catchy. with it. And we meet Sylvia. Then we're told about Tina. And, and all, for the first five minutes, we're told about Tina. We see even a photo of her. We know she's like this little child. Yeah, she's on the freaking program as this, you know, like little yeah. dainty little June character. Exactly. And what's so smart about the show, and especially how she's directed in this production is she's dressed like dainty like baby june she's spoken of like she's baby june in the photo she's baby june and then she comes out and to do born to entertain and she is this tiny adult she's not a little girl she's a 40 year old in an eight-year-old's body she's literally like ruth buzzy giving a cocktail hour at a Tony's after party at the Carlisle. She's literally Shirley MacLaine in Postcards from the Edge when she's hosting everyone <laughs> for Meryl Streep coming, coming back from rehab. That is- Oh my God, you are so dead on. Thank you. Some girls like to cook and sew. When I cook it in a show, I was more to entertain. Some girls prefer to help up clean. As a kid, if I was to get those kind of lines or Mm. I was doing a show in my living room and I'm trying to like, oh, you're being a lounge singer at this point. So be like, you know, hey, where are you from? What city, you know, anyone from Atlanta? Um, You would be a caricature of that. She is not. She is literally just had a highball and smoked a cigarette on the patio and walked in as the overture was happening. Like it is, I, I can't stress it enough how, old like old soul she is when playing these lines it's yeah it's a it's a phenomenal performance and i again this might seem over the top to some people it's perhaps the best child performance on a stage i've ever seen oh Uh, a hundred percent a hundred percent and a voice like a trumpet like it is she's because this tiny little thing just starts singing you're like you can't imagine this much sound comes from somebody and And not like a not I, I you know i love a ping pingy belt but like her vocal gymnastics as that role as well is I, I can't imagine i mean i guess you know she's 10 so yeah she's screaming all the time but like doing that kind of show eight times a week i can't imagine same and if you listen to Lindsay ridgeway who she replaced on the cast recording Lindsay also has this kind of like very mature sounding voice and i would imagine laura bell bundy had something very similar it was, it's very clear to me that when casting the show and they probably had a fuck of a time casting it, they were not looking for an actual baby June. They were looking for someone who could make fun of baby June, but also kind of sound like a 20 year old woman when, at least when singing. They were looking for the adult who plays baby June halfway through act one when they have to have the same actress play to act two. You know what I mean? And it's truly remarkable her acting beats i was i was really taken away oh yeah and it's like so in control of all of it and i just i can't get enough of her opening song the thing with born to entertain that i also want to make a note of is that i'm sure you've heard people sing it before of course yeah so the ironic thing with ruthless and born to entertain and it's sort of the same thing with annie when you think about it when annie came out in the 70s it was this sort of antithesis of what a family show was supposed to be and cute kids were supposed to be like it, it 
Annie was sort of praised at the time for like, it's a family show, but it's a family show that like, is the opposite of what you think a family show would be. Like it is very old fashioned and big sets, but like has a lot of adult humor. The kids are like not playing cutesy little kids. Like they are playing the kind of kids that like Woody Allen would cast in a movie with these weird faces and odd sounds and like are not clean dancers. They're real children. And then over time, Annie sort of has grown to become the very thing that it was trying to be the opposite of, which is like, now it's all these cute little kids and shiny polished poses and dances. And now we think of Annie, we think of these like precocious little children playing orphans. You're, that is spot on. It's truly, I, and that kind of like, I guess kid acting in general has mm-hmm. kind of, you know, cause I saw Matilda twice on Broadway. Cause I did, I really liked Matilda. I love that. The kids, at least one of the casts I saw, or a couple of the kids in the ensemble, I was like, I just want you to be real right now. I can yeah. see, I, I know that you went to the dance classes and I know that you have a voice coach twice a week, mm-hmm. but like, I just want to see you be a real kid right now. Yeah. Matilda's a little harder because it is so stylized. I, I sure. saw Matilda three times and all three Matildas are very good, but there was one Matilda in particular, Millie Shapiro, who like, really understood what it was to be dropped in and focused and natural. Yes. And that's what sort of makes the show work is when your Matilda is organic because everything else around her is so stylized. Yes. But yes. I but I absolutely hear you about the ensemble like that because that's something that permeates into other child actors. Um, and while I think it works for Matilda, I don't, I think that's more to like Matilda's luck and advantage rather than like, oh, these children are, just that smart like it's like no this is what the show it's lucky that the show calls for this yeah Um, i can't imagine the auditions for ruthless and how many kids going into that thought they knew what they wanted and it mm -hmm. was the exact opposite of what they wanted well and that's the thing that i wanted to get to in regards to like connecting it to annie born to entertain is a song that's kind of making fun of the let me entertain you tomorrows of castle on the clouds of the world where they like a song for the cute little kid where she is being a lounge singer and like that and that's sort of the joke but now it's sort of been uh taken over by all these little belty girls in audition rooms who don't know what the song means who don't know the context of it in the show so they come into their audition rooms they belt their faces off and ruin what the song is meant to be yeah i mean it's hard to emotionally figure out those lyrics and that message at that age i know i couldn't do it the fact that this young woman did in ruthless i i can't it's so smart of course she's not acting anymore she's exhausted yeah oh my god she gave her all no it's it's less of a critique of little girls because first of all these are you know how how are they to know about ruthless it's not in everyone's wheelhouse but as you said like it's a testament to Catherine zaremba laura bell bundy Lindsay yes. Ridgeway, they're like that they did get it and i'm sure a lot of that was also joel paley coaching them but like they something had to sink in for them to connect it and so that's amazing the next bit with Catherine zaremba is tina denmark actually no sorry i lied two more bits i want to talk about her audition for a quick second and then the dress rehearsal okay so her audition she sings born to play this part and then she sings her best 16 bars of have I stayed too long at the fair? Oh, which I, which gagged me that that reference one was in there that she's singing that song to also the choices in it. it sorry, go on. I, that no, moment gagged me. Please, no, I loved it. I loved it. I, I, stop me whenever you want. I'm going to basically, I'm a steam train. I'm going to keep going and then just stop me when you have. No, your, keep going. 
Keep going, keep going. Things have I seen too long in the fair, and there's a great bit where like she sings the music has stopped, and she literally stops, stands still, like looking straight at the audience, sort of cross-eyed, and the teacher is like, "This is this pause has gone on too long. Is everything all right?" And as soon as she gets to her face, she starts back up again with this big loud and the children. It's just you have to see it. It's just very funny. That internal and, timing of mm-hmm. that beat. That was Absolutely. not something you can stage and say like, wait five seconds. She waited until the audience was fucking in her hand and then she took her beat. You can't teach that. You can't. And again, that is why it's so difficult to cast this role and why I would argue that it's the hardest role for a child. And many productions don't cast girls of that age anymore. In fact, uh, Theater HD, Broadway HD, whatever the website is, has a streaming version of Ruthless from London that just yeah, played. Yeah, I was and the just girl- going to say Yeah, the girl playing Tina in it, I think is 14. She's very clearly not 10. She's either like 14 or 20. She's something along those lines. And it doesn't work as well. Um, Well, and even at that age, you're you're too smart at that age. Yeah. Because there has to be a naivete in her as that child because it's just honestly there. You know what it is for me? Sorry, we're getting off track, but I don't fucking care. So you said like, I don't want to see drag queens in any of these roles. Obviously, Sylvia St. Croix has been played by a drag queen most of the time. Every now and then a woman plays her. I will say, if you're going to do Ruthless, you are allowed one role that can either be a drag queen or someone who is older or younger than the part requires. Like, you can have an 18-year-old Tina. Everyone else has to be a woman. It has to be an actress. You can have... You can have a, a drag queen as Sylvia, or you, can, or, or you can have a drag queen as Judy, but then everyone else has to be exactly right. Because it can't be everything or like well, too much. It's a balance. that's where like the panto aspect comes in mm-hmm. to it. Like why that role, why Cynthia by being played by a man works. And I like, I, I don't, when I say I don't want to see a drag queen play the role, he's not playing it as a drag queen. No. And that's why I also like, I was so taken with him as well, which I looked him up and he's like he's living in Palm actor. Springs. Yeah. And like, does like mo- die mommy die. And like those kind of Charles Bushy shows. Um, yeah, Charles but- Bush would do a great job as Sylvia. Cause it's that, it's that style of drag. Like Charles Bush isn't a drag queen. Charles no. Bush is an actress. He is an, Oh, beyond I'm flabbergasted at his talent and the earnesty of his characters. Yeah. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. Specificity and earnestness. Yeah. Yeah. But you're, you're so right of like, there's only one, Mm -hmm. there's only one for Ruthless. Yeah. You can only have one and it can be anyone you want depending on casting, but it can only be one. Uh, And so with Catherine's Rambo with this audition, she sings her bit and then she does it. She does the dance call. She does the ballet combination and it's, you know, it's not, it's, it's all portabra. It's all nutcracker arms. And then as soon as she's done, the teacher, um, and you can almost tell like the teacher doesn't care for her because then she's, as soon as she's done, she just shouts at her jazz as if like a way to throw her off. But immediately Tina goes into it, five, six, seven, eight, and does like her little bit, does a little dainty June squeak in the middle of it. Oh, that's and then, right. And then you think, okay, we're done. And then the teacher goes interpretive and immediately she starts doing interpretive Agnes DeMille dance. So, and like, whipping her hair around doing odd arms and just when it's about to end she falls to the floor and then poses like um dot in animaniacs like i'm cute she like does this whole butta bum bum it's oh it's so fucking funny. It, like that alone just that scene i how many days did they rehearse that because it 
was flawless. It was. To the fact of like, uh, you had to just like, you know, waiting for Ruffman. Well, they have to learn their lines to forget them. You have to be able to like live that part. And they honestly were living it. Also, speaking of Tina, like, um, because I kept, I forgot, I was going to bring this up earlier and then I forgot, like, Tina Denmark is Darla Dimples in Cats Don't Dance. Mm-hmm. And actually, I believe Lindsay Ridgway is the voice of Darla Dimples. Stop it right now! I th- can you look that up on IMDb? Maybe I'll look I'm it up. Literally, I'm looking, I'm, I'm pulling it up because look up- I... If that is, that's I, what gay wrote it. That's perfect casting because- oh, Again, that was like, because when Ruth no, was in LA, it, it was like- Ashley, Ashley Pedlin. Look up singing voice. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was, you're so right. It's, you're so right. I knew it. I knew it was something like that because the LA production was this sort of like minor sensation where it's not like everyone in it became super famous, but rather like, it's it, it's almost as if like Ruthless is that story. So like my friend Lauren who booked Broadway from an open call as an EMC member for Kinky Boots, like went into an equity chorus call for the Kinky Boots tour as an EMC and then booked the Broadway production like two months later. Like, oh she, my God. One of those urban legends people tell themselves to be like, well, you never know. You could be like Lauren Nicole Chapman. Ruthless sure. is sort of like why there's still theater in LA. It's like, you never know. You could be the stage production that like, gets movie work from it. And like, that's what happened with Ruthless. Ruthless. They all, none of them became stars, but they all got TV. They all got voiceover gigs from it. Like this was a stage show where they all got work for a while. Well, and I didn't, now that I'm looking at her IMDb, she was Morgan. She was the little sister on Boy Meets World. Mm -hmm. She eventually got replaced, but yeah, she was the original sister. And again, I think that's why she had to leave Ruthless was either to uh, shoot the pilot or something like that. Oh my gosh, that's so funny. I, that's no wonder because Darla Dimples in Capstone Dance is literally ruthless. Yeah, literally she's Tina Denmark. Last bit of Tina bit I want to just talk about for a quick second. So Tina's told that she's going to be the understudy. They're doing the dress rehearsal and Joanne Baum is giving the masterclass of all masterclasses as Louise Lerman playing Pippi, singing the Pippi song. And Tina is Puddles the dog who doesn't have any lines. And you see her so upset and bored out of her mind, just like standing there in this giant dog costume. And then halfway through the song, you watch her eventually mouth all the words and doing all the movements behind Louise as Louise is singing and doing it bigger than Louise is doing it almost to sort of show to herself and to the teacher, like, look at what you missed out on. Like, I know everything and I'm doing it better than she is. And there's a brilliant moment where it's like, it's she's doing it for like 20 seconds and then all of a sudden in the middle of a line louise turns around like whips around and tina snaps into formation as if nothing happened it is rehearsed with like within an inch of its life and then at that and then one point where then after that where she like is like and then i'll shake your hand or something like that she won't give her the paw and her just saying like well i don't think puddles would shake I just don't think puddles would shake hands here, okay? It's so, oh my God. It's, I can't, guys, I got, ladies and gentlemen, I truly cannot recommend watching this enough. I know that bootlegs are in a like moral gray area for a lot of people in the theater industry. This video is the best argument I personally can give for their existence. A hundred percent. And like you said it earlier, if 
it can transcend through some grainy video in the back of the house and the camera, it was like an older camera. So it can't even adjust to the stage lighting right away. Like if the jokes can translate through that, you know, it's a good production. Absolutely. And the joke, the, not the joke, the pe- line that people like to talk about is like, well, if the bootlegs are around, no one's going to buy tickets for the show. If this were around in 1993 and I was old enough to like, you know, have my own independence, I would watch this and then say, I'm buying a ticket to the show. I need to see this live. I had never really known. I've seen like the, I know the like cartoon that's on the top of the playbills, you know, I've seen, Mm -hmm. I know that classic um, tableau, but like Ruthless hasn't been something I'm like, oh, I want to go see that now. I'm like, are you effing kidding me? I'm in Long Beach community players doing it 2023, honey, to save money. And I'm in to see it. And it's, it's so, it's preserving a cult classics like uh-huh. it is preserving the and bringing these like all about eve and the bad seed and gypsy into the next generation mm-hmm. of like you know at least every gay man should know and be able to like quote all about eve or to know like the classic line of like buckle up you know it's gonna be a bumpy night yeah it's gonna be a it's, bumpy night like what it's from it's our it's our culture it's our it's our society. It's our everything. And Ruthless is, a, I think, should be a new, I think Ruthless should be a new rite of passage in the gay community. Like, you have to have been made aware of it. Um, and it's sort of like you aren't a truly cultured gay until, until you've done enough research to get all the references or at least 80% of the references in Ruthless. Well, that's the thing. Because- that's like, it's like your gay SATs. It truly is, I, you know, what, right before we, you know, when you were like, oh, and, you know, brush up on these things after you watch, before you watch Ruthless, I had just watched um, All About Eve and Gypsy recently. Um, it was just the bad seed that I was like, oh, I need to rewatch that, you know, pretty soon. Um, but those just the cultural references that have then trickled into the mainstream mm-hmm. just to knowing where that's come from. And like gays these days don't even know legally blonde, you know, like mm-hmm. we, it's something that needs to be preserved so that um, again, like it doesn't end with Charles Bush. Exactly. I, th- first, thank God for us because <laughs> you know, we are, God. we're holding the torch um, and we will hold we will hold Ruthless as the gay SATs and we will hold them every year, every six months for all the newly anointed gays. And we'll say, you cannot go to Hell's Kitchen until you can score at least 70% on this. Yeah, hell fucking yes, as it should be. Because, you know, I'm sorry, like you cannot go to the Ritz one more night and have too many gin and tonics and make out with the guy who goes to your gym on the dance floor. Not that I'm saying this from experience. Wink. But Wink. How, do you, you... how do we think you met your boyfriend? Okay. Come, no, we actually met on Scruff. But um... Scruff and Grinder have become like the actual dating apps for the gay community. It's crazy. And honestly, a success story at that point, you know, because yeah. it definitely was just going to be a hookup. And I was like, oh, again, you're not that 
persona that you put on these dating apps. Nobody is. No. Um, everyone wants to put on these personas. And then I was like, oh, okay, then this is not going to be bad. like he. So my guess, I'm guessing he put on a bro persona on Scruff. You met him and you went, oh, you're a fag, and like fell in love immediately. Oh, a hundred percent. I'm like, oh, you can gab with me on the Barbie birthday Epcot video. Like, great, great, we're in. Um, Morgan, because podcasts are a visual medium, could you describe to the listeners what I just did when you said that? I literally fell on the floor. Um, fell on the floor. Um, yes. Okay. So we're gonna wrap this up. Yeah. Because we brought we we mentioned it earlier, and I wanted to just sort of bring it back around again for a quick second. Bernadette Peters was one of the producers of the original production of Ruthless and okay. best friends with Marvin Laird most of her life, worked with him almost her entire life, still works with him today. And in fact, they do like a little audio recording of Ruth Del Marco on the radio. Like, oh, that was one of Ruth Del Marco's old albums. And that's Bernadette Peters singing. I fucking wondered because I was like, that damn sounds like Bernadette Peters there. But then I was like, they couldn't have got her. Like the copyright of having her being played. Uh, no her. wonder. It's her. They like... Th- because I think Ruthless was in development for like a long time. Like it was one of those things where Marvin Laird was like, oh, I've been working on this musical, telling Bernadette, telling Liza, telling Sharon. It was sort of like, when it's done, let us know. And it was like, well, now it's done. And they're like putting the money in, getting their contacts. Sharon's like, I'm going to call Bob Mackie for the LA production, like that kind of thing. It was oh. like they every favor you could possibly pull in, they did. And that's what got it sort of the attention it did. And then granted, after that it was because the show was good but like that's what sure. got them up and running anyway thank so, god for like for the, you know the honorary gays bernadette I'm, peters share like goodbye the true heroes um you know dolly might have like invented the covid vaccine but like bernadette peters brought us ruthless uh so after the show closed in la they did a benefit concert i think for uh equity fight days i can't remember exactly but it was a one night only concert in la uh, and it was the entire LA cast except for Joan Ryan as Judy Denmark. It was Bernadette as Judy Denmark. And there are three or four videos. Wait, wait, one, two, three. There are four videos available. I'm, I have to think the whole concert's available, but only four songs that I can find on YouTube. Okay, because I saw that video of Let Me or I Was Born to Entertain, and I was like, oh my God, what, has Bernadette done this? Is this encore? Mm-hmm. Like what? I know it's crazy. It's it's two pianos and it's the entire LA cast and Bernadette. Catherine Zaremba is like a little taller, but not that much taller. It's more just that like Bernadette is shorter than Joan Ryan. Yeah. So like Catherine Zaremba looks like, oh, wow, she shot up a foot. She like shot up an inch. Yeah. But, you know, has short hair, looks a lot more mature. And just like, it's so great to watch Catherine Zaremba after having done the show for so long, come back and just like nail it so hard. Um. And then I on top to of watch it, these videos, yeah, it's they're good. And then Bernadette, the, there's a video of Bernadette doing Angel Mom with Catherine Zaramba, and then a video of her doing It Will Never Be That Way Again, which is uh, the oh, the second song in Act Two when Judy has become Ginger and she's a big star and she's singing to like her uh, reporter. And it's not like the funniest interpretation of the song. Like Joan Ryan definitely milks more comedy out of the song, but Bernadette plays it so melodramatically earnestly and same thing with angel mom that it's still very funny um it's less campy and more just like more it's you know okay it's less ugly betty more dynasty that is how i would describe it ah you know and i when i saw that just that 
short clip of like Bernadette doing that, I was like, it struck me at first of like, can she sing it? Because I'm sorry, like the range that Joan yeah. hits in this bootleg is insane. It's, it is the tail end of Bernadette like having a really amazing range because okay. it's 95. So it's two years before Cinderella, four years before Annie Get Your Gun. Like Gypsy was sort of where she hit her ceiling. And yeah. then it, which is not to say like she doesn't sound good now, but rather the, the range started to decrease after Gypsy because she was sort of, Gypsy was the ceiling of her range and she was hitting it night after night. And then once that was over, it's like, well, you kind of busted your like top three notes. And now, you're, now your money note is a B, not a C. Well, and even in Gypsy, she was like really reaching with that neck, you know? Yeah. I wish they altered the keys for her because Patty sings some songs in a lower key in Gypsy than Bernadette does. Uh, Interesting. Yeah. There, I think I do know that Patty sings at least two songs a step down. Uh and part of it is because I think she options up at the end of some people. So it is like a down, but like let Bernadette do some people a step down. It still sounds good. Listen, Rosalind Russell did it like three steps down. So yeah. With, with Lisa Kirk assisting her. Uh, honey, honey, heavily, heavily. But if you watch it, Angel Mom, she is definitely like giving her all. There are a couple of notes she belts that Joan Ryan doesn't belt in the video and then goes into the head voice in the same place as the Joan Ryan does. And she definitely does it like with all of her might in the like because when angel mom is happening judy has just come out of like a major breakdown so you yeah. know that like bernadette played that breakdown for everything it was worth oh and, and in like, a different sort of camp yeah so like she'd be and when i and what i prefer about her angel mom is that you can almost see the tears in her eyes when it begins. Like you can tell she's not totally over her breakdown and she's like very tentative when starting the song and like figuring herself out. And she does the whole mama, mama, the whole Rosalind Russell, mama, mama. And it, the, when, the way it just builds with her and Catherine Zaremba. And it's a testament to how amazing it is that I prefer to the Joan Ryan one. Cause the Joan Ryan one is great. It's, it's flawless. Like, yeah. It's when you watch it, it's like, there's something just a little, like, a little more exciting about it. Interesting, because I when I watched the Joan Ryan one, I I liked how I guess for that stylistic camp, mm-hmm. how pared down it was while still being heightened. I yeah. was like, oh, this is a more real moment for her character. So I'm interested to see the Bernadette one to even go like further. Oh, yeah. Definitely check it out because there's a moment in the Joan Ryan one where like the l- second half of Angel Mom with Joan Ryan, like it gets to a point where. She's doing a lot. And it, the, the attitude I have for it is like, it's so weird they're like breaking down this character's I, turmoil in what is ruthless, the musical. But it's essentially like, now that she's like over, like getting in control of her talent, now she's like figuring out her instincts. So she's like doing things and like throwing it. Like she does something with her skirt, like throws her skirt up and then literally like takes her arms, like throw out that, that idea and like continue back to what she's doing. So she's like, I'm trying things. No, that doesn't work. This is what I'm doing now. It's like that kind of thing. And it's a lot. And Bernadette's a little more of like, I am getting in control of my stardom. It's less of like, I'm making, I'm figuring out the choices I'm going to do. And more like, Judy is understanding now what a star is. Yeah, the the essence versus yes. like, you know, like I was really into Joan singing Angel Mom until like a verse in, she like had two hands mm-hmm. and she was like, oh, figuring out like, oh, I'm using, you know, indicating. Yeah. Yeah. And then I was like, oh, you just broke your honest streak in a musical where we needed that breath of honesty for a second. Yeah. There's not that any of it's not genius. No, there were like two moments in all of Ruthless. It lasts like 10 seconds where it's like, 
emotion. And then it's like, enough of that now. Um, yeah, no, Bernadette, it's it. what makes it so brilliant and what makes Bernadette one of a kind. And something where I'm not sure if it would have worked in a full production of Ruthless, but it works in that moment where it's like, it is honest and it's earnest, but it's still funny as hell. Yeah, totally. I gotta watch that. Come Definitely on, Bernadette being freaking funny. Oh yeah. And it's, you know, again, it's the mid nineties. So she's like, it's peak of her talent where it's like, she isn't quite, past it yet it's like she's because she's yeah she's she's doing like the weird choices that she does in cinderella but they work it's like the it's sort of the end of the time where bernadette peters was throwing spaghetti at the wall and being like maybe this choice will work i don't know (laughs) i mean and it's kind of going back to her days of like dames at sea because dames at sea and ruthless are very similar in the fact that they are like small camp shows Mm -hmm. absolutely that is you hit the nail on the head what better way to close it out um morgan thank you so much for being here with me thank you what a blessing what a what a light on this um january day and talking about some theater which it's been a while it has been a while and you know it's been a minute since you and i recorded and i love and listen i i cashed in that iou uh after Morgan and I did our first episode, he was like, if you ever want me on again, I'm like, absolutely. Cut to Honey, a year later. you know, I live to gab about a niche market MT theater joke and Ruthless hits all the buzzers. Absolutely. Ruthless gets all of your androgynous zones. Uh, oh no, not androgynous, oh. erogenous zones. <laughs> erogenous. Honey, she's a <laughs> Charles Bush play at the Eagle. <laughs> Can we change it to androgynous zones? <laughs> yeah, uh, honestly into it. That is, sorry, androgynous. I'm taking it. I'm, t- I'm taking over. All Own of its it. androgynous zones. Um, yeah, I'm just, yeah, this was just so wonderful. And I knew when I, because I've been so obsessed with this. I was like, I want to talk about this. And I need to find someone who will get this. And I was like, Morgan, Morgan, absolutely. If he doesn't know the show yet, he'll watch it and we will be on the same page. Honestly, I'm honored because that, after watching it, I'm truly like, God, this is gold. It is such gold. gold. And I hope that we've introduced it to a couple more people and spread the word because people need to know. Um, It's just so, it's a wonderful show. This video is a perfect uh, artifact of it. Um, And there are even so many other amazing jokes that we didn't reference that I want you guys to find out on your own. uh, And and just like the magical quality of like, being in an intimate theater space and seeing like, it feels like an off-Broadway show. And there's a certain feeling about that, that is, it's translated in this, but it's different than seeing a Broadway show. And I I love that quality about it. This is definitely the closest I've ever felt watching a video. Like I'm in a theater and it's, it just translates so perfectly. It brought such joy to me and like reminded me why I love theater. When you watch a show that works with an audience that gets it, it's just wonderful. Yeah, they, I mean, they this audience gets the house. It. This audience gets it. They're laughing. Yeah, it's a full house and they understand everything and it's wonderful. Uh, Morgan, where can people find you on social medias? Uh, you can find me on Instagram, Thoroughly Morgan is my handle. Um, you can also find some of my music on Spotify. I released a Sutton song that we talked about on your, on my, the, your podcast when we, talked like a year and a half ago called thoroughly modern um it's a disco hit to sutton foster music video actually coming out later this month oh wonderful Um, but um yeah you can check me out or youtube 
I'm yeah. all over the place. Uh, keep your eyes peeled, guys, uh, for my YouTube channel. That'll be coming out at the end of the month. Oh, uh, I can't wait to see. Oh, yeah. it's. Uh, I'll, I'll cut this bit out because I've already brought it up before. I'm essentially going to start doing video essays a la like Lindsay Ellis uh, on theater. And the first video is Madonna is bad in Evita, but it's not her fault. Thank God. You're you're so perfect for that. I I'm, can't wait to see it because like you're smart and intellectual about these things, and I do, I love. Um, I'm gonna keep this bit in then because you just know what you said. <laughs> uh, so that's all going good. Uh, you can find me on Instagram, Matt Cop, like usual spelling. Uh, that will also be the name of the YouTube channel coming out later in January. We always close out with a diva, Morgan. I'm gonna take the reins with this one because due to, due to the timing of recording and releases, I wasn't able to properly honor her with her passing. I would like us to close out with Miss Rebecca Luker. Oh. Yeah. Just the way that it was timed. I had like three episodes already done and like, wasn't going to be able to honor her when it happened. So I would like to do it now. Uh, no, one of the please. best Sopranos that ever lived, Miss Rebecca Luker. I, I'm st- I, I'm literally like, I can feel it in my like throat right now. Um, That's not why though. (laughs) Let me tell you. Cause uh, do I do another boyfriend reference? Um, But but it's just, it's it, you know, when it starts feeling scary Mm -hmm. that like we're getting older and like our heroes are, are like passing that really hit home of Mm. like, oh, I'm not this invincible 19-year-old anymore. Like, because I, like, that was somebody I looked up to growing into, like, musical theater and watching content. And, like, that, it was, it's way too soon. Way too soon. Very devastating. Um, And I hope that people come upon her discography and realize, like, there's such power to singing that's not just, like, belt your face off. It is- God, you hit that on the head. Yeah, it's there are kinds of all there are different kinds of voices to have, and Rebecca Luker was a wonderful example where like you could have a soprano voice and also not just like be a wilty ingenue. Like you can have power behind it, but it's not like a heavy operatic tone. It's like it's pure, it's beautiful, but there's strength as well. Yeah, we get we get like belty mixed up with like acting these days. Like Instagram acting is a belt, and. And and she's the perfect example of like uh, a voice that tech you know this day this modern day wouldn't be like put you know yeah. having power without screeching in a mix you know <laughs> exactly exactly um, so yes this is all to say enjoy uh, our closing out with Rebecca make sure to give us a nice five star rating review us subscribe if you can you know I again I hate being thir- I hate being thirsty but them algorithms don't lie y'all. Uh, Honey, you better like, subscribe, comment, star, leave a review on that. That that will help. It will. Share with your friends and family. If you hate us, tell your enemies. If you love us, tell your friends. Listen, it's hard out here being a diva warrior goddess. It's hard out here for a wimp. Um, (laughs) Or Morgan, after a night with a boyfriend, it's hard out here for a gimp. I gotta go. Was that offensive? Should I cut that out? I know. I think no, leave it. Great. I will. I'll um, own it. I love it so much. All right. Thank you so much, Morgan. Thank you guys. And thank you, Rebecca.
Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E.org because only together we rise. Our kids have said to us since we've moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community, of values that, you know, Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. See why CNBC ranks Minnesota number four best state to live and work. A great place to work, an even better place to live. ExploreMinnesota.com slash live.